Uh, listen, we are 942, not doing too bad. Listen, we're going to, I'm just going to give you a heads up. We're going to go through a whole chapter in Matthew today. Honestly, it's not even scripted, and that's a genuine response of panic in the room. Uh, yeah, but well, that's why I gave you a break. Get yourself a snack. Uh, no, we're going to try not to do any of that. Uh, we are the we're in this series called "Follow Me." Faith, let's bring up the first slide there. This series, "Follow Me," is the is a, we're studying the book of Matthew and we're learning about what it means to follow Jesus. Thank you so much, handsome man. We're, we're, what it means, you know, what it means to follow Jesus. How do we do it? All that kind of thing. But in in uh, in, in the process, because it's been it's been a, it's been a couple of weeks that we've been in Matthew, and so. Uh, uh, it's given us it's given us some opportunity to also uh, kind of compartmentalize and make and, and look at some smaller series as we've gone through it, and so we find ourselves in just such an opportunity this week and the next couple of weeks is uh, let's go to the next slide there. Everybody say, are you ready? Are you ready? We are. Where are we? Where we are in the book of Matthew is Jesus is about three days away from his crucifixion. Now he's going to be talking to his disciples about his return. He really is, uh, other than he's, he's referenced uh, what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem often throughout the book of Matthew, but he's going to spend quite a bit of time now talking about making sure that, and Matthew's going to write down, this is what's really important, is Jesus is saying it and Matthew is writing it down for his audience and for all of his readers that we understand that, Je- that, that Jesus has a definite interest in our readiness for his return. That we are a people who, are, who do not live for today. We are a people who live for, we live this day in light of that day. We live today fully and, and, and uh, faithfully because of the day that Jesus will return. And that's a, 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 an interesting, an important dynamic. It is, a, it is the leverage of our life. Our life is leveraged by our expectation and our readiness for his return. So that's just by way of, that's kind of where we're headed. And we'll, that, we'll say that probably seven ways from Sunday between today and the next two Sundays. But the important thing is that we remember that we are a people who are to live ready for his return. Are you ready? Well, we'll about to find out. But let's begin. Before we even get to Matthew 24, the good news is we're going to go to Matthew 23 and then cover the entirety of Matthew 24. Yeah. It just gets better. You just, oh, you love the Bible. In the book, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, Matthew records Jesus ministering, teaching, speaking, in a, in a way that is profoundly, I, I would say, Old Testament. Now, if I say that, you'll, you, people shift gears and think, oh, that's Old Covenant. It's not for us. What I mean is it's that Jesus is the continuation. He is the consummation. He is the, the fulfillment of the prophetic voice. So we have Jesus as the final prophetic voice covenantally, 
Now, and he is speaking to Jerusalem in the same way that if you've been reading your one-year Bibles, you've read Isaiah, you've read Jeremiah, or you're reading Jeremiah, it takes a minute, and then you're going to read the book of 12 eventually, and Ezekiel, you're going to hear as you read those passages that it, Jesus sounds a lot like those, those prophets that are speaking to Jerusalem, addressing their leaders and their problems. But the difference is that, well, Jesus is... is waving that checkered flag this time. Let's pick it up. Verse 13, your Bible will say seven woes. Now, that, that's not whoa, W-H-O-A. That's woe like bad, okay? And there's seven of them. And so what this, we just need to understand that but when these, these seven woes are indicative that this is an absolute final declaration. This is Jesus. Now, here we pick it up at verse 13. Here's the introduction. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Jump down. So there's several woes there. Then jump down to verse 33. Where it's, uh, uh, through 38, which is the, kind of the summary. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is important as a background to what he's saying next. You snakes, you brood of vipers, aren't you feeling encouraged? <laughs> see, I used to, if you, what if I just did one verse at a time? This morning's text is Matthew uh, 23, 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. <laughs> Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. He's talking about a relatively immediate future. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. It is important for us to, this is what Jesus is saying. Time's up. Timer's about to go off. Ding, ding. The blood from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Most of the time, the, a generation, most of the time in, in Scripture, a generation usually is a, a, a period of about 40 years i.e. like when they would say the generation in the wilderness. That was a period of about 40 years in the wilderness. You feel me? Yes. Okay. Uh, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. If you're listening, this sounds a lot, this does not sound like someone who's only been around for 30 years. Jesus is talking like he's talking to a Jerusalem that he has known for a very long time. How, long, how often I have longed to gather your children as a, as, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm out of here. I'll be back. Now, if you kind of ignore the chapter divisions and just let Matthew keep writing, I'm out of here, I'll be back, 
Take a deep breath, keep reading. Jesus left the temple. Verse 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. We're, we're ready. There we go. Verse 2, do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So the disciples are with Jesus at the, on, the, at, on the temple mount in the temple, and they, they come to him and they say, Lord, after he said all that stuff, he, they, 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 I don't know if they're, what, what, I don't know what's going on. Why they, they're wanting to change the subject. Jesus is getting a little intense. But they point out, they start, they start celebrating or pointing out the magnificence of this temple. Uh, there's a few reasons why they would have done that. Number one, the temple began massive renovations under Herod about 20 BC, about 20 years before old little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, about 20 years before Christmas. Okay? There was a, Herod began a massive, massive expansion and renewal of the project. That project continued until about the 60s AD. It's a long project. And what happened is uh, that it, it was just under continuous improvement. So, there's, it's, so it's possible that, number one, some of these Galileans, these, these fishermen, maybe they hadn't been to Jerusalem that often, and maybe they were overwhelmed with what they were seeing. Number two, there may have been some serious new things there that they were excited to see. But the most simple and most reasonable reason why they were drawing simply they were drawing Jesus' attention to this, this, this facility, is that it was magnificent. I, it would, it, you would, if I were just doing only this today, we could try to find images and pictures or whatever else. There aren't, there aren't photographs of it. <laughs> uh, but there are depictions historically of this temple and its magnificence. And it, it is easily one of the wonders of the world. Uh, uh, it, it, you couldn't even stare at the, the, the cube, the holy place. You couldn't even look at that in broad daylight. Because of the white marble and the gold filigree on it, it would have, it would have be, it'd be too bright. It'd literally be blinding. It was that brilliant in the morning sun. The, the structures, the stones, the, the, the marble, the pillars were massive and gorgeous. It's, it's too bad that most of the time when you and I see... Bible movies or Bible TV programs, everybody's wearing sackcloth and ashes and everything's falling apart as if they were all cavemen or something. Uh, the truth is that first century Jerusalem was a, cosmo- was, cosmo- was a cosmopolitan wonder. It was one of the chief cities of the world and the temple was its masterpiece. And they say, Jesus, look at this place. And his response is, do you see all these things? It's important that, just as a by way of heads up, that you hear the word see. Everybody just say see. see. This is going to be, Matthew is intent, I believe these are the words of Jesus, of course, but Matthew is writing them in a way that helps the reader feel a theme. This is going to be the main idea, the main theme throughout the whole text, is see. The first is a question, and then, it's, and then what will follow is an imperative. Do you see? Watch. Everybody say watch. watch. That's the main verb. If you're going to be studying the Bible, study the, look for verbs. 
And this is the main verb, and not just not just verbs of description, but verbs of, de- of declaration or instruction. The only instruction in Matthew 24 is watch, look, see, or a variant. But it starts off with a question. Do you see these things? He asked, truly I tell you, verily, amen, amen, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. That statement would have been impossible to imagine. Looking around at the wonders around them, the massive stones, the gold, the pillars, the marble, to say, yep, nothing's going to be left here. It'll all be torn down. It would, have, it would have defied the imagination. And yet, under Titus of Rome, it happened. It happened, and this is so important, it happened in 70 AD. If Jesus is talking plus or minus 30 AD, it happened in 70 AD, that's 40 years. In 70 AD, under Titus, the temple was sacked and burned as Jerusalem was under massive siege and overthrown. In 70 AD, uh, there's debate over who started the fire. Uh, Billy Joel is still confused about it. Yeah, yeah, you're you're welcome. Uh, There's some debate over who started the fire, but the fire was set. I know you can sing it. Thank you, you know. And as the fire raged through the the temple, all of the gold filigree would begin to melt and, 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 and seep down into the stones. And so when the Roman soldiers came in, they, they, they grabbed the stones and they tied them. We don't even, it was impossible to even imagine. And they pulled the stones apart in order to access the gold. There was such rage, there was such greed and rage that the, that the temple itself, so complete was its destruction that even to this day, it is very difficult to determine its exact location. Josephus, the historian of that day, said this, that this destruction was so complete that a traveler who came there would never have known there was a temple there before. Massive. 70 AD. I'm pressing this because the reader needs to understand just just the significance of the events that occurred. Well, they, they're on their way. Verse 3, Jesus is on sitting at the Mount of Olives and his disciples come to him privately and they say, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? When will, those are two important questions. Are you ready? When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Whether they intended to ask two different questions, they did. They might have meant it to be just one question, but Jesus is going to answer two. But the question is this. Uh, first of all, about the temple, Jesus, when's that going to happen? Because that sounds bad. We should be ready. And then about the sign of your coming, how can we make sure that we get ready? How can we make sure that we get ready for the sign of your coming? How can we make sure that we, you know, that we, that we, because we, we, you know, we want to take our time. We kind of want to do our own thing. But when we, if we can give enough, if we, if we can get enough advance notice that you're coming, we can get our life together. 
We can kind of live the way we would like to as long as we see, oh, yeah, that's not time yet. I got enough time. I have time, too much time on my hands. I got a lot of stuff to do. But if I can just get a sign, if I can just get a sign that you're coming, then I can get my stuff together. You feel, you feel me? Or maybe if I can just get a sign that he's coming, it'll get me enough time to, put, to, to maybe sell some paperback books about predictions. <laughs> yeah, hello, hello. Jesus answered, he's going to give, for, for the destruction of the temple, Jesus is going to give specific details, but for his return, he will not. Because the key for both of them is watchfulness. I don't know how I can say this without, with, with enough emphasis. He, 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 what, what we're going to see is Jesus is in, in true prophetic form, he is going to present um, the, the, what happens in Jerusalem and to, and to the temple as a foreshadowing of what will happen later when he comes. But he's going to say, in other words, it's like this, in the, in the way that you need to be ready for this, you need to live ready for that. If you can grab that, then you've got the entirety of the chapter today. In the same way that you should be really ready for how intensely I'm going to tell you specifics about this, you need to live ready for what you won't know is coming. You feel me? Now, as we walk through chapter 24 with relative brevity today, and it will be relatively brief, you'll get out of here in time for some more donuts. You, I may say a couple of things that, that might be different than you've heard or different than you've taught or different than your Schofield Reference Bible, which is good, and, uh, and, and maybe different than even old Rex Humbard. But here's what we need. This is what nobody should disagree with. This is what we're going to make sure that we all agree with today as we, in, the, in the next two Sundays. We'll say it again. This is our co- a constant refrain whenever we look at eschatology. Eternity is real. Yes. Jesus is coming. And you need to be ready. So they say, Lord, uh, what's going to happen there? Let us know. And then in verse 4, Jesus answered, watch. There it is. Lord, what, what should we do? And he said, watch. Say it again. Watch. Now, so watch. So he, then, so verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. <laughs> and deceive many. You will hear of, verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. What are you supposed to do? Uh, nope. You're supposed to see to it that you're not alarmed. There it is. Listen to the this is on, this is the main verb. Watch, make sure, focus, don't be alarmed. The bombs will never make the Bible more relevant. The Bible doesn't need bombs to be true. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Ah, ah. That sounds like yesterday. Yep. <laughs> Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. They're not even birth pains. They're just the beginning. It's not even time to start breathing deeply. Watch out, exercise sight is the key word there. 
Be ready. Stay awake. This is the imperative. This is the command as opposed to the opposite attitudes of, of, of lethargy, distraction, or procrastination. More about this later. Jesus says, make sure that no one deceives you. Don't be distracted. Don't be tricked. And then in verses 5 through 8, he describes events and situations and, and tragedies that, occur, that, that sound very familiar, and they are. They're not, they're not strange to human existence, but he describes things that actually happened between 30 and 70 AD, and we have all the historical references for them. In other words, if you read verses 5 through 8, he's, they say, well, what's going to happen? He's, and the, 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 the summary sentence could be, there's going to be tough times in the world in the days ahead. Tough times in the world. Somebody say in the world. In the world. Ah, but then there's more. Verse 9, then you, talking to his, those, those fellers, asking him the question, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by, by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. Now, how many of you think all of that sounds really familiar? Now, here's the deal. As familiar as it sounds to us, and it does, it also, all of that, now just take a deep breath, all of that also occurred between 30 and 70. You might say, ah, Dap, yeah, what about all the preaching part? Well, I, in context, the, 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 that Jesus would have, would, have, would have had in mind that the gospel was set would be a, a testimony to the, to the known world. It means all around the Mediterranean and, and Asia and North Africa and the Orient. And by 70 AD, the gospel had made, we don't read about it in Acts because Luke's intention is to, give, to get us from... Jerusalem to Rome, but but there were there were gospel emissaries that went all over, went all over the known world. I can't verify that they sailed the ocean blue and from until fourteen ninety two, but the point is that there was that the gospel had been sent out as a testimony, even by seventy A.D. It had spread rapidly throughout the world. I mean that was even we read about it in, in the book of Acts. They said these men are turning the whole world upside down. And then he said, and then the end will come. Does he mean their end or the end? Well, the, the, in the context, again, if, 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 we re, if we recognize, and Matthew's readers would have begun to recognize that these events all occurred before the destruction of the temple, not that they didn't include, they didn't continue, but all, but all of these things happened up until the, the, the destruction of the temple, then we can think, oh, he's, he's probably still talking about that. He's giving a lot of details about what's happening at the, in the next 40 years. So he continues in verse 15. When you see the whole in, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation as spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now Jesus did not say let the reader understand. Matthew did. That's Matthew saying, "Hey, hey, hey, remember." 
So what's he talking about? The, the abomination, the, the abomination, the abomination that causes desolation. He is that, that Daniel talked about. Well, Dan, everybody, the readers of, of Matthew would have thought, oh, you're talking about uh, Antichius Epiphanes in 167 BC, 200 years before this. That this this northern uh, descendant of uh, of the the of the the, the generals of, uh, of of Alexander the Great, he comes down and wants to totally Hellenize to impose in Greek culture on the people of Israel and wants to eliminate Judaism from the earth and does all kinds of absolutely horrific things to those people including moving into the temple, setting up an altar to Zeus, and sacrificing a pig. And at that time, horrible things were happening in Israel. And Jesus is referring to that, but saying it's, like, it's going to be like that. And like that happened again in 70 AD when Titus shows up, burns the place, takes the bread of the presence, takes the, takes the lamp of the Lord, parades them through pagan, the pagan streets of Rome. That which only the high priest had laid eyes on in the sacredness of God's presence, he profanes before the world. And that's not it. That's just one example. But you can still see the artwork and the, and the frescas of that event in world history. Let the reader understand, when you see that, it's going down bad. Then we understand verse 16. Then, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What does that mean? What's the metaphor there? It means get out. He's t- Jesus, the good shepherd, the prophet, is saying, when you see this stuff going down, and it's going to happen in this generation, when you see it, get out. Run. Jesus is a good, good father. He's a good shepherd. He's telling his people, and Matthew's writing it down, when this happens, get the beans out. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. Don't get your pictures. Don't get your wallet. Don't get your groceries. Don't get milk. Just get out. Let no one go back in the field. To get, uh, let no one in the field go get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Number one, it's probably there's pro- there's a lot of testimony about the, the 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 specific and horrific abuse and and tragedies uh, for nursing mothers and pregnant women that not only Antichius Epiphanes but also Titus did. But also, it's just really tough to travel, and which leads us to the verse twenty. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, if you look, oh, what's the what's the significance of that it's hard to travel in the rain <laughs> and on the sabbath you weren't allowed to travel far so if you were on the sabbath and you were a strict jew you'd have to choose between survival and sabbath this is jesus just telling us straight up for there will be great distress unequaled listen now from the beginning of the world until now so he is referencing an immediate a soon time frame. Unequal from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So he's saying there's something that's going to happen that hasn't happened before and after it, it'll still be, it'll be a, it'll be a, a, a horror bookmark for the, in the, for, the, for the ages to come. He's telling his followers, those that live in the Jerusalem area, to leave and to run for cover. And some of them did. During the siege of Jerusalem, some of some believers fled. History tells us that some fled to the city of, of Pella. Some hid in the cliffs of Petra. But most people did not leave. 
The siege of Jerusalem is, to this day, one of the most horrific events of history. It does not suit the purposes of our gathering today for me to just simply detail the horrors. But there was famine, there were corpses beyond measure, and there was death. It was so awful that even the Roman looters did not proceed into homes to loot. It's too horrifying. Over a million people died in Jerusalem. Okay, 1.1 million people recorded dead. Now, if you're a historian, you might think, hey, wait a minute, that's a little bit large numbers for an ancient city. It was close to Sabbath season, not Sabbath, Passover. It was close to Passover, and we know already that even 30 years before that or 40 years before that, that <clears throat> Jerusalem would, would, would burgeon two, three, four, five times its normal population during Passover. And by this time, with the completion of the temple and everything ready, it would have been Mardi Gras. I mean, only Jewish Mardi Gras. Anyway. But <laughs> there would have been a lot of people there. Over a million people dead, 97,000 were captured and enslaved. It was an event that was never equaled again. Jesus continues, if, they, if those days, he, spoke, he speaks in both past tense and future tense, as only a prophet could. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, here he is again, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See? By now you should be seeing a pattern. See? I have told you ahead of time. So, if anyone tells you, there he is, verse 26, there he is, he's out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it, for... Verse 27, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will it be, at, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, the vultures will gather. So verse 4, we're supposed to watch out for false prophets. Verse 23 and 24, we're supposed to watch out. Verse 26, supposed to watch out. Because why? Because in verse 27, when Messiah does come again, and he will come again, it will not be a secret. It will not be old little town of Bethlehem. No one will be seeing anyone lie still. Jesus won't even be quiet. <laughs> Song says he didn't make any crying. Sure. But anyway, when he comes again, everyone will know. More on that in just a minute. And then he says, where there are, car where there are carcasses, the vultures will gather. There's a couple of quick uh, possibilities of that. Number one, it's a, it's a, he's repeating of a proverb that just says, where, like, it's like, where there are carcasses, the vultures gather. Like, this is going to, it's going to happen. When one thing will follow another. Or vultures uh, are birds of prey. And he actually, the Greek is actually just a bird of prey, which could mean eagles. And he could actually still be referring to, uh, however, like, the eagles are going to hover over Jerusalem, over the over the, the Romans are going to hover over that thing. Okay. 
Then in verse 29, immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. These are all depictions of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. Isaiah 13.10, Joel uh, 2.10, you can read examples of that. These events are not necessarily supposed to be tell us actual cosmic events, like we're going to look up and sun and moon and stars are going to all go to disappear. Historically, what they meant was that there would be tremendous social and political upheaval in the world, and it always refers to judgment on evil. We need to know that that did happen, and we need to understand that it will happen. Then verse 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Remember they asked him two questions? Hey, tell us about that temple. And he did. Then they said, hey, tell us about the sign. And so then he says in verse 30, then will appear the sign. Oh, good. Now we write, everybody get it ready to write it down. What's the sign? Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And oh, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, not literally four winds, that's from the four corners of the earth, from everywhere, from one end of the heavens to the other. Here's the sign they, they asked about regarding his coming and he, get, and he tells them the sign, but he doesn't tell them what it is. He doesn't explain the sign. We aren't told what the sign is. He just says it's going to happen. The sign will just appear. But here's the deal. There's no need to try. Don't try to figure out what the sign is. Because there won't be time. If you, here's the deal. If you're not ready, you won't be. Because when the sign's there, time is up. Listen, sun, the sign, sun, trumpet, gather. That's it. If you're not ready, you won't be. So live ready. There won't be time for paperbacks, book signings. There won't be time for like in those disaster movies where they say, oh, six, ten, eight months out, we see an asteroid coming. We got to build a big hole in Nevada there for everybody to hide in. (laughs) His coming will be with power and glory and it will be the most overwhelming event in the history of the universe. It will forever change the fabric of the cosmos. John saw this in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. He said, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black. That sounds familiar. It's like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a free free tree when they are shaken by a strong wind the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place and the kings of the earth the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and everyone else both slave and free hid in caves and among rocks and mountains and they called to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for, for their day of wrath has come, and who can withstand it? And John heard the sound of that trumpet. Jesus said that trumpet's going to blast. John heard that in Revelation 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. 
Verse 16, and the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones who never actually stay on them. If you read Revelation, they, they have seats and they never stay on them. They're just constantly getting up and throwing themselves down. I mean, it says every time they see God's face, they get up and they throw themselves down and then they do it over and over again. Why do they have seats? I don't know. <laughs> Who were not seated on their thrones ever anyway, fell on their faces again, but in worship before God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was, uh, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Paul tells us that at the sound of that trumpet, the, the, uh, he tells us about the sound of that trumpet and about the angels who will gather the elect. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Right. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. Does that sound like you're going to have time to get ready? No. no. You have to live ready. You've got to be ready if you're going to be ready. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. He says it's something similar to the, to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He's coming, and it won't be a secret. He'll come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. Tell them there's great hope great to, to persevere. Encourage one another. Remind people that we are not people living for this day, but for that day. We live this day because of that day. We live this day robustly and faithfully and fervently because of that day. And then encourage people to be ready. So, pay attention. Now, learn from the fig tree. I got to tell you, I don't appreciate it when they start using agricultural examples. It's like, for me, it's like watching sports. I don't know what's going on, but I just take their word for it. As soon as, as, soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Well, I know that because of the grass and them pink trees. Uh, uh, yeah, them pink trees, they turn pink and they turn white and all good. It's springtime here, summertime coming. Yeah. I should re- I would put that in here. Uh, you know, summertime coming when you see them pink trees. Uh, uh, even, even so, when you see, yes, another shirt. No. Uh, <laughs> even so, when you see all this, these these things, you know that the end is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Generations, forty years, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Everything around you is going to change. The city, the temple, will crush, will crumble. Nothing will remain. Nothing will remain, but my words will remain forever. But verse thirty-six. But about that day that you brought up, nobody knows. Go nuts. About that day or the hour, and you know people say, well, we don't know the day or the hour, but we pretty much know the year. No, you don't. <laughs> didn't happen in 86, didn't happen in 87, didn't happen in 88. Some of you weren't even born yet, but there was 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in 1988. And I'm not going to lie, I was fine with it. 
I was, I'm, I was, I was signed up for it. I mean, I didn't believe it, but I was like, Lord, let's do it. I'm on the first bus out of here. If there's a bus that's leaving, I'm on it. Right? But not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. But no one knows the end. It cannot be calculated. There is no prize for predictions. There is only a reward for readiness. There is no prize for predictions. There's only reward for readiness. As it was in the days of Noah. And I could tell him, oh, that, now, you and I weren't around in Noah's day, but we, we can hear about it right here. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. No one could get ready. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding on the hand, on the hand mill, one taken, the other left. There it will be no alarm to pull. There will be no plan B. The only thing you can do is be ready. Therefore, here's the point. And, and if we haven't caught it yet, listen to Matthew, verse 42. What do, you, what do you see there? Therefore, therefore, watch, look, keep watch, be alert, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Then he explains, verse 43, but understand this, if the owner of the house knew, had known at what time of night the thief was coming, then he would have made a good movie about being a thief in the night. I, that's my, hey, that guillotine came down, I went right to the altar. I'm just letting you know. Six years old right here, okay? Uh, okay. Uh, the owner of that, if you don't know, don't worry about it. Hippies, Jesus movement, bad music, good movie, okay? Uh, uh, what time? He would have kept watch. He would have done what? It's, I mean, it's, 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 at this point, it's ridiculous if we haven't caught the main verb, okay? He would have done what? Watch. What are we supposed to do? Watch. He would have kept watch and not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. When, and, and how can we be ready? By Because the Son of Man will come in an hour. You do not expect him. And then now he closes with this parable. And you think. And I said close. That's right, Faith Ahola. It's 10, 20, stinking 5. I'm about to land this plane. Bring it. I'm a professional. Dr. Dav to you. Okay. Um, a parable to emphasize this as he closes. Are you ready? Now, the truth is, this parable is good enough for us to camp on, and we got two more in the, in the weeks ahead. But here we go. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? You should right away, if you know what's going on in the Bible, say, me, right? Pretty much, that's, you, that's a good clue that you want to sign up for this guy. 
Anybody want to sign up for this one? Okay, four of you do. Okay, who then is the... I promise, if you haven't heard it yet, you want to sign up for this one, okay? Uh, Who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so. Just doing what you're supposed to be doing. Not staring, not planning, not worrying, not procrastinating, but doing it. It'll be good for you if he finds you doing it. What am I supposed to do? Jesus is coming. What should I do? Well, you should go home, feed your family, go to bed, get up, take a shower, go to work. You should should serve Jesus, love people, right? You should just be doing the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. That's being ready, living ready. It will be good for that servant if he finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There is no prize for prediction. There is reward for readiness. There's reward for readiness. Anyway, I don't got time to argue with you about it. Okay. Uh, Verse 48. But, But suppose that servant is wicked. And says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. It's been a hot minute since all that Jerusalem stuff went down. I mean, it's 2020. It's been a minute. Maybe we can just... And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. When people stop living like Jesus is coming... They start treating one another poorly. They start, they start indulging, being licentious, catering to the flesh, living in conflict with other people. That's what, and he's, is he talking to the unbelieving world? He's talking to us. This is what, what does the church look like when she's not living ready? She's fussing fighting, abusing, turning on each other, and living in carnality. All of that looks like someone who's not living like they're watching or ready for Jesus to come. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. He will, uh uh-oh, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, as we have seen through Matthew, that is he's talking about hell. To live without watchfulness invites disaster. It is the comfortable delusion of the wicked servant that there is plenty of time. There is an old tale about three apprentice demons trying to impress Satan with a plan. And the first apprentice demon says that he has a plan to, for the downfall of humanity to deceive them and to distract them, to discourage them. The first one says, I'll tell them there is no God. And Satan says, well, you'll have some success with that. The next one says, well, I'll tell them there is no hell. 
And he says, well, that'll be harder. The third one says, I'll tell them there is no hurry. And Satan says, go, you will ruin them by the thousand. Tomorrow is an empty promise. Watch, be alert, live ready. Jesus is coming. He is coming to reward or to judge our readiness. Are you ready? Let me ask you to stand together as we close today. We'll pray. There are two scenarios in Matthew 24 of uh, people not being ready. The first one are the, uh, are, refers to those who do not have faith in Christ, who have not repented of their sin, who do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is, who have not repented of their sin and have not trusted in Jesus Christ to be their Savior. To them, Jesus is only the, 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 the coming one with wrath. You don't have to be that person. That does not have to describe you. It is not the will of God that that would describe anyone in this room or anyone watching online. It is is the will of God that you be saved. what, What does it mean to be saved? It means that you will never have to experience that wrath. Yes, it is being adopted. Yes, it is being filled with the Spirit. Yes, it is being becoming a, a possessor of all the promises of God. But it means that you are going to be spared from judgment, that you will belong to God, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. And, all, and what that means is that you turn from your sin, you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to be the Lord of your life. Let me just ask us right now, across this room, would you just pray with me? Everybody pray with me right now. Is there anybody with us right now or you would even respond online that would say, I am not ready for him to come. I am not ready to meet Jesus. I have not repented of my sin. I have not turned to him to be my savior. I want to be ready. I want to trust him today. You may have a lot more questions than you may need more answers. There's plenty of Bible to explore. There's There's lots of discipleship to grow in, but it starts with the decision to follow Jesus. Is there anybody in the house that I could pray with this morning? Just pray with right where you are. I want to agree with you right where you are and just pray with you, agree with you. Is there anybody that would lift a hand and say, that's me, today I want to be ready. I want to turn from my sin and trust in Jesus as my Savior. I'll give you a moment to respond. Today, listen, tomorrow's an empty promise. The worst thing you can do is procrastinate a decision to follow Jesus. The second scenario of readiness in the text are believers. Those who have named the name of Jesus, those who are part of his household, but have decided that maybe he's not coming around. 
Maybe it's been a long time, but for whatever reason, Jesus addresses members of his household that have stopped living like he's coming, and they've started living in conflict and in carnality. Friend, are you living? Is, does your life look like you're living for his return? If you open the door and there he was, would you be ready? This is the command. This is the imperative today. Watch. Live like he's coming. It's the life that will be rewarded. I've heard people say, well, what if I live like Jesus comes and you know, I, and I come to the end of my life and he hasn't come yet. Well, then you have lived the very best kind of life. You have lived a life of excellence and worship and honor, and you have lived a life that will be rewarded. Live like he's coming. Jesus, we live for you, every part of us, Lord, every part of our life. that part one more time. I surrender all. one another with these words encourage one another to live for Jesus like he's coming soon do you believe that would you say amen can we give the Lord just an offering of gratitude today Lord we thank you and praise you friends we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus we've got coffee in the next room if you'd like some have a fantastic day be kind to each other live like Jesus is coming